The Proclamation of God's Word, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is uh, a joy. We are uh, to end our sermon series uh, this morning in the, the Psalter. This summer, we've tried to give you a arrangement of the Psalms uh, so that we might be uh, blessed as we look at all of, its, uh, all of its beauty. And this morning, we conclude with Psalm chapter 23. According to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Psalm 23 is the pearl of the Psalter. It is not an overstatement to say that Psalm 23 is the crown jewel of all the Psalms. It's a Psalm that is familiar to many, if not all of us, whether you are a, a Christian or you are not sure what Christianity even means, you've likely heard this Psalm in some way, shape, or form. In other words, it's likely that none of us in this room are strangers to this Psalm. Psalm is predominantly read at funerals, it's read at the bedside of those who are on the brink of death. It's been recited by politicians and public speakers. Uh, Psalm 23 is very much an ancient Christian text that has been influential in our society. And all of this is for good reason. The Psalm is comforting. It gives us themes of, of, of beauty when one reads it. They find that this Psalm instills feelings of peace and tranquility. There have been pictures of the themes that are found in the psalm placed in the walls of hospital rooms and counseling offices. And even in a secular post-Christian society, Psalm 23 elicits feelings of comfort, warmth, and peace. And while all of that is good and very much true, I want to argue this morning that Psalm 23 doesn't merely offer us this abstract peace or ethereal comfort, but instead it provides real peace and real comfort for those who are in real situations and sufferings. You see, when life gets hard, when you are surrounded by dangers and temptations on every side, you need something more than just good feelings and good vibes. You need something that can hold you up when it seems that everything else is pulling you down. You need the peace that is provided by the shepherd in Psalm chapter 23. If you take a look at this Psalm, you'll notice that there is not a single imperative. There is not a single command in this, home, this whole Psalm. You see, this Psalm doesn't call us to do anything. And this is an important because I think when we think about peace, we think of a whole bunch of things that we need to do in order to find that peace. 
If you search Google for peace, you'll be given 15 things you need to do in order to find true peace. But this Psalm suggests that true peace is not found in our ability to do a whole bunch of endless activities. True peace, a lasting peace is found outside of us. It is found in the very character of God. Psalm 23 was written, as many of you know already, by King David. We don't know when he wrote this psalm or why he wrote this psalm. Scholars are in an endless debate about that. But I am of the opinion that David wrote this psalm as a seasoned saint. He wrote this psalm as an older man. The language of the text suggests that David had to learn the truths in Psalm 23 by experience. He had to learn these truths over time. You see, David suffered immensely in his life. He buried two children. He spent a good portion of his life on the run. He had too many enemies to count. He had regrets. And the substance and simplicity of these words point to an individual who has had to learn these things through the crucible of life. Friends, this is one of those passages of Scripture that only gets better and deeper as you grow older and older in the Christian life. And the marvelous truth that this psalm presents to us is that God is good and he cares for his people. And David doesn't tell us that. He doesn't just lay before us the truth that God is good. He illustrates this truth by giving us two images to describe God's care for his people. He gives the image of a shepherd in verses one to four, and then he gives us the image of a host in verses five to six. And as we walk through this text with these two images in our head and heart, I want us again to see that we have a good shepherd and we have a generous host. We have a good shepherd and we have a generous host. So first, the good shepherd. David begins this psalm with a declaration about God. He begins with a a wonderful truth that that guides the rest of the reading of the psalm. He says in the first half of verse one that the Lord is my shepherd. This may sound pretty basic and simple to us at first reading, but these five words are, are loaded with rich and biblical and theological meaning. First, notice that David uses, as we've mentioned time and time again in other sermons, David uses the covenant name of God. This isn't evident in your order of worship, but in your pew Bible, you'll see that the name Lord is capitalized. It signifies to us that this is the unique name that God gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. When God comes to Moses and tells Moses that I am going to free my people from slavery in Egypt, Moses asks the Lord, he says, tell me what I am to tell the people. What what is your name so that they will know who you are? And God responds to Moses by telling him this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered in all generations. This covenant name Lord or Yahweh is is a name that signifies that God is self-existent and self-sufficient that he determines his own existence and that he is independent of everything. He is completely unlike us. We are dependent and he is dependent upon no one. It also means 
that God is never changing, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And what David is saying in these opening five words of Psalm chapter 23, that this self-existent, that this self-sufficient, that this unchanging God who is wholly different from everyone and everything is my shepherd. This personal language that David uses is important. This is not someone else's shepherd, this is his shepherd. See, David is not speaking in endless generalities here. He is saying that God, that this God cares for little old me. David is confessing that he belongs to this shepherd. He's affirming that, he's affirming what we confess many times here at Redeemer, that he with body and soul, both in life and in death, is not his own, but belongs to his faithful savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, God is able to uphold the universe by the word of his power and at the same time never lose sight of each of his people individually. He is not just the shepherd of the church, he is the shepherd of the the Christian. He is not just the shepherd of Redeemer as a whole, he is the shepherd of the individuals that make up Redeemer. It's important to know that being a shepherd was a reputable job, but at the same time, it was considered to be one of the lowliest occupations in society. It was important and and necessary, but no one would leave their noble position in order to become a mere shepherd of sheep. If a family had sheep, they would assign the shepherd to be the youngest son of the family. None of the brothers would want to do it. This is because the shepherd Shepherding was a hard job. It was, work, it was work that was 24 hours long. There was no days off. You lived among the sheep. And again, no one in their right mind would voluntarily choose to become a shepherd. If you could avoid it, you would. And if you were a shepherd, you wouldn't try to be a shepherd for the rest of your life. It was a job that came with some level of humiliation. And what David is illustrating for us is that the God who is exalted above all things, the God who we mentioned earlier that was self-sufficient, this God who was eternal, has condescended and taken the position of a lowly shepherd over his people. This metaphor is an illustration of the self-humiliation of God as he enters into this world and identifies himself with his people on the most personal of levels. And friends, it isn't hard to see how this psalm points us to Jesus. Church father Augustine paraphrased this this verse in this way. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd and I shall not lack nothing. Jesus Christ says, himself says in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter five, Peter tells us that he is the chief shepherd of the sheep. To put it in David's words, Christ is your shepherd that the eternal Son of God has left the glories of heaven to come into the world so that he might shepherd you. And friends, he is a a good shepherd. He is not like one of the bad shepherds that God confronts in Ezekiel 34, who you abuse the sheep and take advantage of them. Christ is a good shepherd who will never abuse or mistreat his sheep. David tells us that this good shepherd's goodness is demonstrated and how well he takes care of his beloved sheep. You see, the quality of the sheep says something about the reputation of the shepherd. And David says that because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Another way to translate this would be, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Uh, a few years ago, I worked at a after-school program, and in the after-school program, we would often host Bible studies, and on one particular day, we were at Psalm chapter 23. And one of the things that we tried to do is we walked through the scriptures, we would ask the students to summarize uh, the various Bible passages in their own words. And we got to Psalm chapter 23, verse one, and a little boy stood up and he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I ain't worried about nothing. And while that translation might be a little off, the theological heart of it is true. This is exactly what David is saying. David is saying that when you know in, at the fundamental level that the Lord is your shepherd, you can be confident that you lack nothing that you have everything that you need, that, that, that this verb that David uses, the phrase not want is used elsewhere in the Bible. I don't think it's a stretch to say that David had these things in his mind as he was penning Psalm chapter 23. During the time when God's people wandered in the wilderness after being freed from slavery, as they're heading to the promised land, God abundantly provided for his people. Exodus 16, 18 says that the people had no lack. And later in Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy, Moses says, these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. See, David is thinking about Israel's story, but he's not just thinking about Israel's story. He's thinking about his own story. He's saying that not only has God provided for Israel, but he's likely thinking about how the Lord has provided for him. See, David had his own wilderness journey. Multiple times he is sent out of his kingdom and he's on the run from King Saul. Later he would be on the run from his own son Absalom. And in these, both of these circumstances, David learned that every need that he had was met by his good shepherd. This is why David can say in his old age in Psalm 37 that he has never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. Beloved, your good shepherd cares for you. It's truly a sense of peace and security when you know in the deepest fiber of your being that your good shepherd cares for you, that he cares for you in both body and in soul. In verses two to four, David goes on to illustrate the care of the good shepherd. He says in verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. A man by the name of Philip Keller worked as a shepherd for a number of years, and he recorded his insights in a little book entitled A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. He points out that sheep only lie down when they feel safe and satisfied. He writes these words, it is almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owning to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Because of their social behavior within the flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from fractions with others of their kind. If tormented by flies and parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when, when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. You see, Keller is getting at what David is seeking to communicate, and it is this. These sheep are taken care of in such a way that they can lie down in green pastures with no fear and with no hunger. The shepherd has provided for them in such a way that they can actually rest. 
This is why David says, he leads me beside still waters. Still waters are images of rest and, and, and peace. In Isaiah 38, God says that my people would abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. We heard this in our call to worship. Jesus says that come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, the reality that the good shepherd provides rest for his people is a warm blanket for the soul of those who live in a restless society. French philosopher by the name of Alexei de Tocqueville traveled to America in 1831, and he observed and pointed out that Americans are people who are restless in the midst of their well-being. Beloved, if that is true in 1831, how much truer is that in 2022? As a society, we are restless. As we hustle and grind harder, as we seek to earn and accumulate more, we find ourselves to be more restless. In our advanced technological age, life is supposed to be easier and we are supposed to be more relaxed, but instead, people are more and more anxious and more and more restless. And friends, this is where Psalm 23 lifts our gaze and tells us that the good shepherd has provided rest for his beloved sheep, that in our restless age, God calls his people to rest in him. Truly, Augustine was right when he said that our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And not only does the good shepherd provide rest, he also restores his sheep. Take a look at the first half of verse three. David says, he restores my soul sense of the word restore is to return or to bring something or someone back. Occasionally, sheep would wander off from the rest of the flock and they would eventually get lost and isolated sheep would have been easy for a wolf to devour. And a good shepherd of his sheep would go find his sheep and bring them back and restore him them and bring them into the flock. Beloved, as the good shepherd, Jesus brings his sheep, his people, back to God. He restores those who have wandered off. One of the the most beautiful pictures of Jesus' shepherding work to restore his people was found in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7, we read what is known as the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus tells his disciples this story. He says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. I tell you that is the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Friends, this is good news for you if you have wandered off. This is the good news for those who can sing like we just sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. See, Jesus goes after his wandering sheep. He pursues them, He, he takes them and he puts them on his shoulders and he brings them back to the flock. And this brings us to the question, has the good shepherd found you? That as you reflect on your own story and the many times that you have wandered off, are you reminded of how the Good Shepherd time and time and time again has brought you back to himself? 
can you say with David, he restores my soul. And when Jesus finds his sheep, he leads them. He, he guides them. They hear his voice and they follow him. David says in the second half of verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. When David says that he leads me his sheep in paths of righteousness, he is speaking of God leading his people down the right path. It speaks of God leading his people down a path that does not lead to their destruction or ruin, but it is a path that is beneficial, a path that is righteous, a, a, a path that is ultimately at the end of the day for their good. I think David is echoing a refrain that we see time and time again in Proverbs, that there is a way that seems right to man, but there is a way that also seems right to God, that there are two paths. There's a path of wisdom and there's a path of fools. There is a path of righteousness and a path of wickedness. And what David is communicating is that God, like a loving father, is leading his people down the path of wisdom. He, as our good shepherd, is going to lead us down paths that are for our good, and he does this for his own namesake. His very reputation is tied to the way that he cares for his people. Again, the health of the sheep says something about the reputation of the shepherd. And beloved, again, do you believe that God's paths of righteousness are truly that paths of righteousness? Do you believe that God's paths are indeed the, the right paths, that as you think of how he has led you thus far, do you believe that that path is better than your own path? And friends, this reality is tested when those paths of righteousness bring us face to face with suffering and death. You see, it's somewhat easy to believe that God has you on the path of righteousness when everything seems good, but sometimes those paths get tough. Sometimes the, 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 the turn, it turns left. And take a look at what David says about this in verse four. He says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David says that the same God who led him through green pastures to still waters and down paths of righteousness has also led him through the valley of the shadow of death. As a shepherd would lead their flocks, they would at times have to pass through dangerous territory in order to get them to the other side, that they would have to get through deep, dark valleys. And in these valleys, there would be dangers on all sides. There could be robbers or there could be wolves. You could lose a sheep. It was dark. A, there could be a storm or a, a flood. You would have to stumble upon rocks to get to where you were going. You see, David uses all of this imagery to tell us about the terrors and trials of life. This phrase, the, the shadow of death, is used in a way to describe deep darkness. It's the phrase that you see repeated throughout the book of Job. See, Job was a man who lost everything, and his life can be described as a journey through the valley of the shadow of death. And here's a reminder that all of us have to let simmer in our souls time and time again, and it is this, God's righteous paths also include the journey through the valley of the shadow of death. And some of you are walking through that valley right now. See, the valley of the shadow of death encompasses the various sufferings that we experience in a fallen world, but it also includes the path of death that each one of us will one day have to walk. And one of the greatest temptations, as many of you know, on this journey is fear. 
We begin to ask questions about whether God is still with us or is he still in control? Will we be swept away on this journey and torn into pieces? And will God ultimately abandon us? And friends, David tells us that there is no reason to fear any evil. David actually says that that we can have confidence in the valley of the shadow of death. And the question is, why? David tells us it is because God is with us. This is the very heart of the psalm, that thou are, 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 are with us. David structures the psalm in such a way that, that that single phrase is at the middle of the psalm. It's as if David is saying, if you don't know anything else, if you don't read the rest of this psalm, hear this, the Lord your God is with you. He's with us with a rod and staff to defend and protect us and to guide us. And up until this point, David has been talking about the Lord in in the second person that he makes, he leads, he restores, he leads. But here, he emphasizes God's nearness by switching to the third person. He says that you are with me. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table for me. It's as if David is suggesting that the Lord draws closer to him in the midst of the valley of death. You see, earlier God was ahead of his sheep, but now he is beside his sheep walking them through the valley of the shadow of death. And this is the reality of the psalm. David is saying that the answer to our fear is the shepherd's presence. It's his nearness that brings us comfort. What brings us comfort in the midst of trials and tribulations? What brings us comfort in the midst of tears and uncertainty and sorrows and trouble? It is this central truth that the Lord is with his people. See, one of the highlights of all of the scripture of God's shepherding care is that God is always with his people. In the burning bush, he was with his people. In the pillar of cloud, in the fire by night, he was with his people. When the tabernacle was built, he was with his people. When the temple was built, he was with his people. And in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is with his people. And now, as we've been given the spirit, he is with his people. Can you imagine how the game changes when you understand that your shepherd is with you in the most horrendous times of life? That that I mean when you understand, not just intellectually, but when you get in your very bones that the King of glory is beside you. Beloved, your good shepherd is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. And what is even more glorious about this psalm is that not only is he with you in the valley of the shadow of death, he has gone through that valley on your behalf. You see, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, says in John chapter 10 that he lays down his life for the sheep and he is able to save you from death because he himself has experienced that death. You see, no one is able to lead you through death unless someone has come out on the other side. And beloved, your good shepherd has done just that. And not only do we see that Jesus is our good shepherd in this passage, we also get an even more intimate picture in the reality that Jesus is a generous host in verses five to six. That's our second point, the generous host. After passing through death, the picture that David gives us changes to a host who is welcoming guests into his home. Take a look at what David says in verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You see, David moves from talking about shepherds and sheep to now talking about friends around a dinner table, and he gives us this picture of intimacy and welcome. 
It's this picture of celebration and joy. One commentator points out, to eat and drink at someone's table could be the culminating token of a covenant. And he says later, and so to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance invited for a day. It is to live with him forever. See, David says that this host prepares a table for him. You get this picture of a, a, a banquet feast that is thrown before David the guest, that this meal takes place in the presence of David's enemies. We don't know again if these are figurative or literal enemies, but either way, David is eating in their presence. And this shows how David has been exalted in front of them, that he alone has been welcomed to the table, but his enemies have not been welcomed to the table. In a real sense, this table is one of celebration. It's a celebration of a victory over David's enemies. David, David is able to eat in front of them with freedom and not in fear. And at this table, David will know a freedom that he has never known before. And David says that God, as a generous host, anoints his head with oil and fills his wine and glass to the brim. And this shows that David is just not a, a, a someone who is coming to get a meal every now and then. David is actually the honored host at this table. He is welcome to this table. It's as if God is rolling out the red carpet for David. This is a place where he is exalted and honored. It's a place where God is lavishing his grace upon David. You see, God has taken David through the valley. He has cleaned him up. He has sat him at his table to eat and be satisfied. Psalm 23, at its heart, is a journey. And that journey has brought David into the very presence of God to eat and drink of the God's goodness and mercy. And friends, what God has done for David is the same thing that he has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ has welcomed each and every one of us to his table. He has said, come over to my place. Come, come over and eat, and I will prepare the greatest meal that you have ever had. He, he rolls out the red carpet, and he says, enter into these gates and eat at my table. He's anointed our heads with oil. He has cleaned us off and wiped all of the, the grim and grime off of us. Beloved, you have been welcomed to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been given an invitation of honor to the best meal in all of history. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Luke chapter 22, verse 15, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And beloved, Christ says that, every, says that to us every single Lord's Day as we come to the table. He has desired to share this meal together. Christ is not a reluctant host who wants you to eat just a little bit. He wants you to slide your weak knees under his table and eat and drink until you are satisfied, until you have truly tasted of his goodness and mercy. And now notice how David concludes this psalm. He says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To say that goodness and mercy shall follow David for the rest of his life is to say that good and mercy, goodness and mercy will pursue David, that they will chase David. It's this reality that goodness and mercy will run after us, that no matter where we find ourselves, wherever the mountaintop or the deepest valley or we're wandering away from the Lord, goodness and his loving kindness will relentlessly chase after us. 
Beloved, his goodness and kindness will follow us all the way home. His, his goodness and kindness will be at our heels until we are face to face with our God. And brothers and sisters, as you go through life, as you run the race of faith, know that right behind you at your heels is the very goodness and mercy of God. And notice the imagery that this psalm uses. If you've been paying attention throughout the psalm, this psalm gives us an image of being wrapped up on all sides. In verses two to four, God is in front of us. In the second half of verse four, he is beside us. And now in verses five to six, he is behind us. Do you see this picture that David is trying to paint for us? David is saying that you cannot get away from your good shepherd and gracious host. It doesn't matter which direction you turn, in front, to the side, or behind you, you have been wrapped up in the very grace and mercy of God. He is saying that there is nothing that is ultimately going to separate you from his love. And isn't this what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter eight? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself says something similar in John chapter 10, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Beloved, we are secure in the hand of our good shepherd and generous host. Oftentimes when I'm crossing the street or walking across the parking lot, uh, I tell my boys to, to grab my hand as we go across the parking lot to keep them safe. They'll place their little hand in my hand and they'll grip my hand as tight as their little hand can grip it. But here's the thing, the security of them is not found in their grip upon me, but it is found in my grip upon him, them. In other words, my hand is the one that is holding them even though their hand is holding me. And friends, this is what Psalm 23 is trying to drive home in our hearts. It is telling us that the good shepherd, that our generous host has us in the grip of his grace, and he has promised to never leave us or forsake us as we make our journey home. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have made known to us that Jesus Christ is our good shepherd and our gracious host. We thank you that he has delivered us from death. We thank you that he cares for us in both body and soul. And we ask that by the power of the spirit, you would help us to believe these wonderful truths. We confess, Lord, that we believe, but we ask that you would help us with our unbelief. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.